Great to be here with you this morning, whether you're here on our Canandaigua campus, part of our online community, our Hopewell campus. Uh, we're continuing in our series, Asking for a Friend. And a few months ago, we asked our small groups to come up with some questions uh, that they wanted us to address over the summer. And one of those questions, one we're going to be looking at this morning, is a question I've been asked over and over again as a pastor and just as a fellow Christian, and that's this. How do you discern God's will? How do you discern God's will for your life? And so we're going to be looking at that. See, when we come to Christ and receive him as Savior and Lord, part of what we do is we really surrender our will to his will. In fact, as we grow in Christ, we find that the will of Jesus, our will becomes in alignment with it. In other words, we start to will the things that God wills more and more. And, And see, if we were to be honest, before coming to Christ, we simply did what felt right. Isn't that true? It felt right we did it. And the reality of it is we know that that didn't always work so well for us. Sometimes it felt right and we realize, oh, wow, that was the wrong decision. But one of the benefits of coming to faith in Christ is his leading in our daily living. Knowing God's will for our lives at times, though, may seem like a mystical adventure. You know, only for a select few within the church you can sort of figure it out. And yet the reality of it is it's not beyond the normal Christian's reach. In fact. God really does desire to lead us. And he's not a cosmic trickster. Like he, he really does want to lead us. And in fact, look at these words from Christ, Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Then we have these words from the book of James, James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. And so Jesus said what? We're to ask, we're to seek, and we're to knock, and we're to do that in confidence. And when we don't know what to do, we're to ask. And I love that it says, and he gives what? Generously, generously, without reproach. I don't know about you, but there's many a time where I know I lack wisdom. And it's great to know that not only is God available to ask, he's waiting for us to ask and to give us generously what we're asking for. There's a passage that Paul writes to the faith community in Rome. It's Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's a passage I refer to often if you've been around crosswinds for a while because it's one of those crucial verses in the Bible. Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul writes, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And Paul gives us a a picture of the Christian life. He says, in view of, of the fact that we have salvation in Jesus, Jesus is our Savior and Lord, what are, we, what are we to do? Well, we're to give ourselves over to God, fully over to God, to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and of course love our neighbor as we love ourselves, to love our neighbor with the love that he's poured into our life. And he says, and as we do that, what happens? We're not any longer conformed to the pattern of the world. Our our mind is transformed. And it's through the transforming of the mind that we're able to discern the very will of God. So here's the point. Doing God's will is not some super Christian feat. It's what God would have of any everyday believer. So how do we discern God's will? How, how do we make choices that honor God? And for me, I, I use an imagery in my life of a refracting telescope. You say, well, what's that all about? Well, a refracting telescope has two or more lenses 
And I believe for us to really discern the will of God, we have to look through four lenses to be able to do that correctly. Now, the first three lenses are true for all Christians. In other words, they speak to our Christian DNA. The first lens is the foundation we have in Christ. The second lens is what I call the ABCs of Christianity. And the third lens is the model of Christianity. Now, those first three lenses, again, are true for every believer. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter when you've lived. Uh, The fourth one is unique to each individual believer. The fourth lens is sort of our personal lens. It's our unique role and call and makeup. And the series before this one, we went into great detail about our different makeup of, of who we are unique in Christ. So to fully understand what God's will is for our life takes looking through these four lenses. But here's the problem. Many believers sort of don't look through the first three lenses and go right to the fourth one. Sort of our unique makeup, our unique call. And we do this with significant error. Because the Christian who does not carry the DNA of a believer will never be a healthy part of the body of Christ, understanding his or her unique role and call. And in the end, what it does, it really leads to burnout and frustration. That God intends for us to grow in the Lord, to grow in the knowledge of God, to know him so we can make him known. And so if we're not spending time looking through those first three lenses, The fourth lens isn't going to get us where we want it to. So the key to discerning God's will is to look through the first three lenses, the foundation in Christ, the ABCs and model of Christianity before looking through the fourth lens. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to give a summary of each of the lenses. Now, I know uh, most of us are wired to think sequentially. And I just want to let you know that it's really not that simple. That That the lenses that we're going to look through is a journey that we continue to grow in understanding what it means to have our foundation in Christ. We continue to grow in understanding the the foundational principles, or what I call the ABCs of Christianity. We continue to grow in understanding the model of what it means to be a believer. And we even continue to grow in understanding our uniqueness in the body of Christ and where he's placed us. And so it isn't always a sequential journey. And so there the refracting telescope ill imagery sort of breaks down, but because it's a little fluid. And so think of it this way. Discerning God's will is more a value-based journey than a task to be mastered. The value-based journey, more than a task to be mastered, it's an art. Albert Einstein was quoted as saying, a thing should be explained as simple as possible and no simpler. And so this is what I'm going to try to do this morning. I'm going to try to give a brief summary of each of the lenses, but by no means is it exhaustive. It should be enough for you to to take a journey and, and and looking at each of the four lenses, but, it, but it's not going to be an exhaustive approach to it. Uh, even what I have at times may feel like you're taking a little sip from a fire hydrant because it's a lot of information. But I really believe what God wants to do is, is open our eyes to this journey of really having our mind transformed so we can discern his will. And so let's jump right in. Let's jump right in. The first lens. Now, I want to discuss the foundation we have in Christ. If we're going to have a renewed mind, then we have to reset our understanding of our foundation. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Jesus is the only way. You say, how do you know? Because Jesus said he was the only way. In John 14.6, his words are recorded for us. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way to salvation, eternal life, is in Jesus himself. 
The only way to, to, to under, only way of having saving truth is through his word. And in him is found the only real life. And I've had this question asked of me many times. Are you telling me, but he's the only way? And I say, well, I'm not telling you that. I'm just repeating what God said of himself. And it's so important we understand that because as a believer, for me to love the world around me, I can only share what the Bible shares as truth. Does that make sense? And so I've had many a person say, well, I think that's narrow-minded. And I go, why? It's open-minded to God, right? If I'm open to what God is saying, then I'm going to take his word as truth. And I'm going to understand that in order for me to live the blessed life that he promised me in Christ Jesus, I've got to live the way he calls me to live, not the way I want to live. If I live the way I simply want to live and expect him to bless me, that's, that's fooling myself because God says there's a path to living the abundant life that he has for me in Christ Jesus. And he said, well, does that mean you're earning your way to salvation? Absolutely not. Jesus paid the price once and for all. Amen, church? I like that. Good. Get excited about it. That's good stuff. He, he paid the price. I, I couldn't pay it. So it's not about working my way. But listen, Christians who come to faith in Christ, will we'll desire to live like Jesus, to reflect him to the world around us. And for us to understand how to do that, we must believe that Jesus is the only way, but he is our foundation. The foundation of our faith is Jesus Christ. And we look at his incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, his exaltation, his, his work of saving us and preparing a place for us and coming back to take us to be with him in paradise. Jesus is the light that guides us to a straight path whenever we are in darkness. Our identity is in Jesus. And I was thinking about this idea of identity, and I realized growing up, I was identified in part with my earthly father. And that wasn't a bad thing. But I learned very early that if life was going to go well for me, then I should do the things my dad thought I should do and not do the things my dad thought I should not do. Ever been there? When I did the things I ought to do, life went really easy. If I decided to do sometimes the things I wanted to do, but I knew my father did not want me to do, life got a little more difficult for me. That was usually when I would say to my dad, you just don't understand. Ever been there? Let me ask you this. Anyone ever told God that? Oh, uh, come on now. You know you have. Oh, God, you just don't understand what I'm doing. And you got, you're, oh, yeah, you do understand. <laughs> you do understand. You say, what's that have to do with the Lord? Well, my identity is in Jesus, and I want to do the things that honor him and not do the things that dishonor him. In fact, there are several things that I pray over myself every morning, and one of those things is this. I pray, Lord, help me today not do anything that would shame you, my family, or my church family. Now, let me say this word shame is a word that in 2021 is said there's no place for shame in anyone's life. And and, and shame has become like the new S word. And I, I get that, except it's just not really true. I'm not talking about condemnation. Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I don't fear punishment because Jesus already paid the price. But, we, but shame is the, is the understanding that you don't want to do things that are wrong. And there's a healthy shame then, right? I don't want to shame. I don't want to dishonor God. I don't want to dishonor my family. I don't want to dishonor you guys as my church family. And so I pray. It says, if you lack wisdom, go to the one who can give wisdom. God, don't let me do that today. Help your spirit. Lord. May your spirit direct my steps. 
Give me a tender conscience. Isn't that really where it's at? I want a tender conscience. People run from conviction. I'm praying every morning, God, give me conviction so that I can live the way you've called me to live, not just for my sake, but for the sake of those around me. And not because I fear that the Lord is going to turn his back on me, but because he is my foundation. And he's promised to never leave me or forsake me. What an amazing promise. More than I can claim, it's something I can walk in and cherish. One of my spiritual heroes, I don't know if you believe we should have them or not, but I do. Uh, one of my spiritual heroes is D.L. Moody. He was a 19th century evangelist. He, he only had a fourth grade education. Did you hear that? Only a fourth grade education. He spoke to, to hundreds and thousands of people in his lifestyle about Christ. And he served the Lord faithfully. There's a couple of stories that have always sort of encouraged me. I, I love this one. A man one day came to Moody and said he had counted 30 grammatical errors in Moody's sermon. 30 grammatical errors. I love Moody, how Moody responded. He says, that's all God gave me. If I, he would have given me more, I would have used more. I love that. I love that. I have beyond a fourth grade education, but I can understand that, that attention to the grammatical skills. Another day, a man said to Moody, I don't like the way you preach. I don't like the way you preach. And, and Moody said, well, how do you preach? And the man said, I don't preach. And Moody responded, I like the way I preach better than the way you don't preach. I love this. Now, why, why was Moody able to sort of take these things a little lightheartedly, not making fun of people, but just lightheartedly, understanding his limitations, yet how God was, because he was understanding his foundation is in Christ. His foundation is in Christ. We live differently when we believe us plus God is a majority. We live differently when we believe that since Jesus is our foundation, the impossible is possible in him. That, that, that failing isn't falling down. Failing is staying down when we fall. But God understands that we're not perfect, but he's perfecting us. Right, church? So get up and, and walk with him. Christ is our foundation and our identity is in him. The second lens, what I call the ABCs of Christianity. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. He says, if you can't trace God's hand, then trust his heart. I love that. You can't trace God's hand and entrust his heart. How do we do that? It's by getting into his word and understanding about God. His word. God speaks to us every day when we approach his word. The A is really, it's not an acrostic. The A is the great commission of the great commandment. A disciple of Jesus is a believer living out the great commission, the great commandment. The great commission, right? Wherever you are, make disciples. In fact, I... It's really clear to me. People will say to me, what is God's will for my life? Like they're asking me that, right? That's a big question. They ask me, I go, I can't tell you specifically what it is, but I know he wants you to make disciples. Okay, so how do you know? Because every believer should be in the disciple-making business. That's the business of our Heavenly Father. And, and so we're to make disciples. And how are we to do that? Well, we're to love God with everything and others with the love we've received from him. A, a key question we can ask ourselves, and, and, and really the steps we take with the Lord is, does this show love to God? Does this show true love to others? And by the way, loving others doesn't mean you say what they want you to say. If you've ever been in accountability, had an accountability partner, or been in an accountability group, if you're always leaving that accountability group feeling like, well, that was easy and that was fun, you're not in the right accountability group. Like sometimes you need to be in an accountability group where you leave and you go, holy ouch, I needed that. 
You know, there was an old commercial when I was a kid, an aftershave commercial. The person would slap the person across the face, and the other guy would say, thank you, I needed that. Love sometimes is, can be looked upon by our culture as rough, but the loving thing is to speak the truth. I don't want to be heading the wrong direction and someone say, well, I love them too much to upset them. I need people in my life who love me enough to upset me. Love me enough to speak the truth. Say, look, you know, this, this is what a husband does. This is what a father does. This is what a believer does. And I hunger for that. B is, is kingdom vision. Paul's writing to the believers in Philippi in Philippians 3, 10 through 14. Listen to what he writes. He says, I want to know the power of this resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul here is describing the Christian life. He's presenting a kingdom vision. A kingdom vision. I want to be like Jesus. How many of you think that's a tall task? Well, yeah, alone, is, it's not even possible. But with the Spirit of God in us, we can be in this journey of being perfected, becoming more and more like Jesus. And every day may not look like a day where it was so Jesus-filled, but we can every day say, Lord, help us become more and more like Paul says, I haven't obtained it yet, but I'm pressing on toward it. I think one of the, one of the trappings of Western culture is that we're so, so mesmerized by the destination, we lose track of the joy of the journey. And Jesus says, journey with me. Let my spirit guide you. In fact, my God is so big, our God is so big. But he can even use our failings for his glory when we give them over to him. That's how big my God is, how big our God is. And then C is the kingdom values, holistic Bible approach. The psalmist writes, Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word directs our steps. We need to know the Bible and walk in its truth. It's interesting to me, anytime someone's coming to me and asking me a question about what they should do, first of all, I really believe God can tell you that more than he needs to tell me to tell you that. But the way that that happens is as we, as we explore his word, as we seek to master his word, his word masters us. In fact, here, here's the reality. I, I really believe this all my heart. If I'm not in God's word, I'm not going to know his path for me. His word forms me. His word transforms my thinking. I don't want to get my definitions from the world. I want to get it from the Lord. And I get those definitions from his word. And he encourages me and he challenges me. And I've got mentors in scripture. And I can learn from their, from their successes. And you know what? I can learn from their failures. You've heard me say this before. I would rather learn from your failure than me have to fail the same way. Come on, church. If I can learn from yours, then maybe I, I, I can avoid that. By the way, that's the call for the church to be open with one another, isn't it? If we walk around like we're perfect, no one can ever learn from the failures that we do have because we don't share them. We shouldn't, we shouldn't boast in our failures, but we can boast in what God can do through our failures to bring us to great success in Him. And it encourages and helps others to say, you know, this, this is a path that didn't go so well. One of my favorite individuals from Scripture to learn from is King David, who did so many things right and so many things so wrong. Yet a man after God's heart because he trusted in the Lord. 
Third lens, model of Christianity, ties in with what I just said. Paul writes Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus is our ultimate model to follow. I've, I've said this for years, and I repeat it in my own life. It's become sort of my Christian mantra. If you want to know what to do, then look at what Jesus did. If you want to know what to do, then look at what Jesus did. If you want to be a Christ follower, and then you need to know the one who you're following. And I just want to explore the Gospels, and I want to see how did Jesus react when those things were thrown at him? What was Jesus' life really like? What does it mean that if Jesus is the embodiment of love, what does it mean to love? Well, Jesus shows that for us. And so then when the world that that wants to conform me into its image is giving me a definition of love, I can go, wait a minute, that definition you're giving me isn't in alignment with the definition I see in the life of Jesus. Jesus defines love. Jesus defines caring for others. Jesus is the one who gives us our Christian ethic. So we must look at those first four, first three lenses and, and take time to understand what the what the Word of God is teaching us about Jesus. We also want to look at church history and learn from church history. Now, let me be careful here. The church has not always been perfect, okay? Talk about history here a bit. In fact, when the church mimics culture, it has failed the culture around them, all right? Devastating things happen when the church mimics culture. But dare I say, great things has come from the church of God when they've sought God's will and lived and followed after Jesus. And for instance, we can go into the book of Acts, which is the history book of the New Testament, and we can look at how the early church lived among each other in Acts 2, 41 through 47, how they loved God and loved each other and cared for each other's needs and loved their community. It's a beautiful picture. And I want to be a part of following that model in understanding God's will for me. So after we look at the first three lenses and allow ourselves to be immersed in that, then we go to the fourth lens, this unique call and role or makeup. And we're to understand, we sort of looked at this, but it's worth looking at again. We can understand our call in two tiers that we need to keep in alignment. Our first call, I've already said it, is what? To make disciples. Our first call is, is no matter where we find ourselves, to be disciples who make disciples wherever we are. Our second calling is unique. It, it takes into account our gifts and our passions, our skills. It, it, Paul writes about this in Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So a believer, a believer must keep his or her unique secondary calling in alignment with their primary calling. This is true whether you're a pastor or a teacher or a student or a clerk or a mom or a dad. I had a friend years ago who said to me, he said, if everyone's a missionary, no one's a missionary. Now, he was working for a missions organization. <laughs> and I thought about that for a while, and to be honest with you, I think he's wrong. We're not all called to be cross-cultural missionaries in the sense of going to other countries and so forth, and yet I believe many more of us are called than go. Uh, but we are all called to be missionaries. We're called to be missionaries right where God has placed us. We're to be missionaries in our homes, in our neighborhoods, our workplaces. 
And I've had people say to me, you know, I had a teacher friend who said to me one time, he said, well, I can't make disciples as a teacher. I work for a, I work for a, a public school. I said, well, certainly you can. It just may not look the same as it does elsewhere. It, living, model, living a model life for Jesus speaks volumes within the culture. Being a person who listens to people, for goodness sakes, is a powerful tool. Helping our neighbors out. One of the things that just blessed me like crazy was hearing the stories of when, when, our, when, our, when everything was sort of shut down and people giving groceries to their neighbors who couldn't go out and, and caring for their needs and, and do it. That, that's, that's, that's a witness. That's making disciples. Who isn't attracted to that kind of love? Who isn't drawn into it? And, and so it's important we know our gifts and abilities and passions. In fact, in the last series we did before this one, you can go back. To, we spent a lot of time looking at those things. But yes, we're all unique, but we're all called to make disciples. And the way it may look in your life may be different than the way it looks in my life, but yet we're still called to the same thing. To live for Jesus, to know him, to make him known. So how do we discern God's will? Well, we look through the four lenses. Then we prayerfully seek godly counsel and decide. Two things about that. Many of us have people in our life who love us. They may even be willing to give their life up for us, but don't know Jesus and aren't in his word. But by the way, we should love them back. But we shouldn't necessarily take godly counsel from people who don't know God. Does that seem far-stretched? Do you follow what I'm saying? I mean, and I'm going to get myself in trouble this morning, but hey, I live there anyway, so I'm pretty comfortable in that place. Even if they're churchgoers, if they're not in God's word, that's not the counsel you should be seeking. Like you should seek counsel from people who are in God's word, who love you and want God's best for you, who aren't going to say things that make you happy, but say things that will bring you joy in Christ. And so we seek godly counsel. Then we make a decision. And I think this is so important. I've seen so many people so paralyzed by this. If I don't make the right decision, then I'm going to be in God's plan B for the rest of my life. Can I tell you, God's so much bigger than that. Like, you are responsible for your decisions, but don't take too much credit. God is sovereign. He's in control. He knows the decision we're going to make before we make it. When we give our decisions to him, he can bring something beautiful, even out of the bad one. Amen, church? That doesn't mean that we should just flippantly just do anything. It means we should be dedicated to spending time in those lenses and growing in Christ. So we make a decision, we know that it, it honors him. I've had someone say to me, should I go to school A or school B? And I go, well, which one will help you prepare for God's kingdom, for your next step? Well, both of them. Then smile and choose. Which one do you like better? Go for it. You know, that doesn't sound real spiritual. Let's not over-spiritualize a decision. I've been around people who are getting ready to go out to eat. And they say, well, we should probably pray about where God wants us to eat. That's fine, I'll do that. But I was hungry. Let's just go eat. And while we're eating, let's just trust that God's big enough to use us where we're at, you know? And so we don't want to be paralyzed by this, but yet we want to take very seriously those lenses. And if we're taking those lenses seriously, then we can walk in a tremendous amount of freedom. It's essential to allow God's word to renew our thinking, is what I'm saying. And and to be in prayer and to seek God's counsel. Let the Spirit of God direct our steps. I shared a couple weeks ago uh, John Wesley's sort of list, if you will. He said, know your Bible, pray. Seek the counsel of godly people, past and present, and see how God has used you in the past sort of experience. Charles Mueller, a great missionary and man of profound faith, 
He wrote, gain the kingdom mindset, know your Bible, look for providential circumstances, pray. They're all similar. Whether it be Wesley's list, Muir's list, or the four lenses, we're, we're to look to Jesus. We're, we're to look at his word. We're to, we're to learn from the mentors in scripture like Paul. And you say, well, how do you do that? And, and deciding God's will for your life. One of the lessons I've learned from Christ is quite profound, really. And that is because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sort of a driven person, right? I mean, I have a to-do list. I, I, when I get done at the end of the day, I want to make sure everything's checked. If I do things that aren't on the list, I write them on the list and check them after the fact. I mean, I'm, I'm sick like that, okay? And so one of the lessons that changed my life was looking at Scripture and realizing Jesus was not frustrated by divine interruptions. Like Jesus often walked slowly through the crowd. Like Jesus is on the way to the cross and he has this amazing conversation with this woman at the well. And I had learned early on as I was sort of starting my career as a pastor I, that I was the type of person that I, I had to get to the, to, to the point where God was taking me. And I was like, no, 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 no. It's not about the destination. Like let the journey happen. And some of the greatest blessings in my life have happened on the way somewhere. Thought God was leading here and, and he diverts me here in this conversation. I go, Lord, thank you. They're not divine interruptions, really, they're divine appointments. And I've learned to cherish them most days. Paul, Paul understood where he wanted to go. He writes to the believers in Rome. He says, he says, look, on my way to Spain, I want to plant more churches. I want to go to Spain. On my way to Spain, I want to stop and I want to, I want to see you so that you can bless me and I can bless you. And he, this is like his goal. He's like, I don't know how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen, but, but I believe it's going to happen. And, and I, I sort of chuckle because we know the whole story. You know, Paul didn't know how it was going to happen, but we know how it happened. He, he was arrested. And so the state paid his way to Rome. Like he didn't know how he was going to come up with the money. He didn't know, you know how he was going to get the trip there. And he, no problem. You're going to get arrested and they're going to ship you there for free. And, and, and that's been a story in my life. I've, I've had to learn that. I'm like, I think God's taking me there. He's going to take me that way. And all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, what's happening? This is a whole different trip. And God goes, no, I knew this all along. Come along for the ride. Don't fight it. Embrace it. Let me use you where you're at. What a blessing that has been. What a blessing that has been. These examples and others are all found in Scripture and help us discern God's will for our life. Here's, Here's the key. I've read a lot on success. Maybe you have too. Tons of definition on success. But there's only one real definition of success that's biblically right. Success for me every single day is simply doing what Jesus asked me to do. By the way, not what the world wants me to do, what Jesus wants me to do. And if I can at the end of the day say, Lord, I've done what you've asked me to do today, then I feel I've been successful. And I'll just be really honest with you. Some days I feel very successful in that. Others day I very hon- I honestly say to the Lord, I think I did mostly okay. Or maybe I didn't do okay at all. And I want to go back to what I said at the beginning. Failure isn't failing. Failure is laying yourself down in the failure. It's keeping yourself there. Believing that because you failed, you're not usable by God anymore. And success is when we realize we've dropped the ball, when we failed, understand that God's hand is right there in front of our face. We grab it and we continue on with it. Come on, church. There's no more successful move than simply doing the next thing God's called you. Not be overwhelmed with the next 10, just the next thing. 
helpful principles as we wrap up this morning. First of all, believe that God will guide you. I'm amazed by the number of believers who pray for God's guidance, but don't believe he's going to give it. Believe God is going to guide you. Surrender your will to God's will. That can be a difficult one. That's not just a daily thing. That's a throughout the day thing sometimes. Listen carefully for God's voice. That's why we need to be in his word. God uses the word of God we know, not the word of God we don't know, to direct us in our life. Listen carefully to God's voice. Wait, wait for the Lord. So we do wait for the Lord. But once God has called us to do something, don't wait any longer. Obey. Uh, how many times have, have you been where I have been where I know God's called me to do something and I'm not doing it and I wonder why I'm not feeling so good about it? Because he's called me to do it. And when we step out, that's when the peace usually comes in my life. People say, do you move when you feel at peace? I go, no, I feel peace as I move. That's the way God's wired me. So he leads, I follow, I feel peace. It makes sense, really. Because a disciple is a person who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. As I was praying over this message, I had this thought. I'll close with this thought. I wondered what it would look like if for just one day, just one day, each follower of Christ throughout the world would leave each, every moment of that day on mission with Jesus. Like, I don't know what we would call that. Maybe live for Jesus mission day. It's really long, but you get the point. But what would that look like? And then I thought, you know what? I can't control anyone but myself. And, so, and that's, that's a handful on most days for me. And I said, Lord, every day may I start out being that person. Help me live for you. Help me be quick when I drop the ball to come to you, to have you redirect me. Let me believe you're going to guide my steps. Let me be open in this journey. Let me do the hard work of looking through those lenses. Because I've shared that lens thing with people, and they've said, that just seems like too much work for me. And can I just share that those four lenses is basic Christianity? <laughs> it's loving God so much we just want to know him. And as we know him, he directs us so we can follow him. Amen, church? First step is knowing Jesus. If you're here this morning or online or at the Hopewell campus and you've yet to make a decision to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's the first step. He's drawing you to himself. That's why you're here. That's why you're listening to this message. And Jesus has died for our sins, resurrected for our salvation. It's as simple as coming to him and saying, Lord, I receive you as Savior and Lord and walking with him, saying, I just want to learn what it means to be yours. And if you haven't done that, I just encourage you this morning or right now, wherever you're hearing this, whenever you're hearing this, to just turn to the Lord. And for those of us who did, it's just a daily journey of trusting him, believing he loves us, he'll never leave us or forsake us. Guys, this is encouraging stuff for me, not frustrating stuff, because God is in the business of taking us from where we're at, meaning us right where we're at, and take us another step further. What's that step he's calling you to this morning? Won't you take that with you? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for loving us so deeply. I pray this almost every week, but it just, it just still uh, it moves me uh, beyond words to, to know that you're the God who not only told us you loved us, but showed us your love on the cross. You did die for our sins. You've been resurrected for our salvation. And we can have that joy-filled life when we come to you as Savior and Lord. And even now, if there's someone in the quietness of their heart who's yet to do that, but yet feels that draw from you, that, that even where they're sitting, they would say yes to you. God, for each and every one of us, that yes, uh, 
that's not just a decision we make when we come to you. That's a decision we got to make every day. Yes to Jesus. Yes to the way that you, you call us to walk. Yes to the things you call us to do. Yes to the way we can learn how to love the way you love. That we can share your love and message with others. So that, Lord God, the way you've blessed us in this gathering, that you somehow would, would translate that into blessing our scattering throughout this region, that people will know your love as we are growing and knowing love. Thank you, Father, that we don't have to work our way into salvation. We couldn't do it anyway. You did the work. And the things that we're talking about here this morning isn't about working our way into salvation. It's about the work of those who are saved, who love you, and want to not only honor you, but we want to honor you. Not only want to be blessed, yes, we want to be blessed, but Lord God, we want to bless others. And so would you do something that only you can do that would transform us, transform us in our marriages, transform us in our parenting, transform us in our, in our friendships? God, that your will would be our will, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.